G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne with the financial support of the Community Radio Federation. We come to you on the Community Radio Network through your local community radio station. This week we have two reports that look at two perspectives on mining in Australia. We hear from Dusty, a retired Hunter Valley coal miner and ex-CFMEU activist, about a major employee privacy breach at BHP Billiton. And Dusty follows up with an overview of coal mining projects in the region. We follow this with a First Nations perspective on the Northern Territory intervention and its role in opening up traditional lands to mining. But first, some workers' news. Saturday the 28th of July, what the mainstream media outlets dubbed Super Saturday, saw the running of five by-elections for federal seats across four states to settle outstanding issues raised by sitting parliamentarians' citizenship status. Longman in Queensland gave a Labor victory with 54.5% of the vote with a 3.7% swing, with LMP at 45.5%. Braddon in Tasmania gave a Labor victory at 52.5% of the vote, Liberals at 47.5%, with a 0.3% swing. Mayo in South Australia went to independent Rebecca Sharkey, who defeated LMP darling Georgina Downer, daughter of Alexander Downer, a former minister in the Howard government, convincingly with 58.1% of the vote to Downer's 41.9%. Fremantle in Western Australia gave Labor a win with 67.2% of the vote, with Greens 32.8% with no LMP candidate. Perth gave a Labor win with 63.3% of the vote, with Greens at 36.7%. Labor was supported by an army of union volunteers who stressed the issues of health, employment and tax inequality, with a campaign that emphasised one-on-one contact by phone and door knocking. The Queensland electorate of Longman and Tasmanian electorate of Braddon results are seen to be significant indicators for the next federal election because they are both situated in the conservative heartland of the Australian psyche. With real rage growths reported at 0% by the Australian Bureau of Statistics, it is now apparent that the strain on Australians to keep a roof over their heads is now affecting people with full-time jobs. Updated statistics released by the ABS on July the 25th showed that 28,600 people experiencing homelessness in Australia are working full-time. That's 16.5% of all people experiencing homelessness. The figures also show that more than one in three people aged over 15 experiencing homelessness are employed in some capacity. That's 61 1,500 people in some kind of work whose wages 
don't even pay enough to put a roof over their head. Nearly half of the homeless population, 45.6%, is either in work or looking for work, and the unemployment rate for people experiencing homelessness is 22.5%. According to the 216 census, homelessness has jumped by more than 16% in the five years from 2011 to 2016. The worst affected group is people between 19 and 34. The Australian Unemployed Workers' Union will launch its new action plan at Victorian Trades Hall on August 2nd at 7.45am. While Australia enjoys decades of economic growth, 2.8 million people are either unemployed or underemployed, shut out from jobs and security, says Owen Bennett from the AUWU. The new plan for impact is a response to the needs of these people. At the AUWU, we are at the coalface of this challenge, said Bennett. After being mentored as part of Australian Progress and ACOS's Progress Labs Accelerator program, we are now ready to launch our action plan. Listeners are invited to attend. That's at uh, Victoria Trades Hall. 7.45am, August the 2nd. You're listening to Stick Together, Workers' Stories, Union News and Social Justice Issues. It won't be news to listeners that the federal LNP government's energy plan is based on coal and extending fracking. If we look at the Australian export economy, we find that Australia is a major exporter of agricultural products and minerals, such as iron ore and gold, and energy in the forms of liquefied natural gas and coal. You may be less aware that agricultural and natural resources constitute only 3% and 5% of GDP, respectively, but agriculture and mining contribute substantially to Australia's export composition. With this in mind, the issues of expanding open cuts and greater leeway given to multinational mining outfits when it comes to labour laws remain vexed issues. Dusty, a retired Hunter Valley coal miner, spoke to 3CR's Greenleaf Weekly breakfast show recently about a major employee privacy breach at BHP Billiton, which gives a look at the usually closed door of big mining. What's happened at uh, the mine that I worked at just out of Musselbrook here that uh, is owned and operated by BHP called Mount Arthur Coal, it's a part of the BHP Billiton chain that uh, uh, works uh, throughout uh, eastern Australia. There are quite a few mines in Queensland that are linked through the BHP network to uh, Mount Arthur Coal. And what's happened is that um, the company decided, as a part of a cost-cutting measure, to shift uh, their uh, pay office and their HR uh, offshore. So it's gone to Malaysia, I believe, somewhere in Kuala Lumpur. So what happened was that the uh, annual group certificates 
instead of coming through the mail, they'd, uh, the company decided to think would, what a great idea it would be to if we did it by email. So uh, some of my uh, ex-workmates from Mount Arthur, have, they've got uh, emails sent to their homes, to their home computer, for uh, employees that uh, are working in uh, some of the BHB mines in Queensland. Um, yeah, the, uh, the people uh, at Mount Arthur are absolutely incensed by it, uh, and uh, they uh, fell just short of taking industrial action. Now, as you, as you know... Uh, on your group certificate is uh, very, very personal information. It's your full name, your age, your address, your earnings, but on top of all that is your tax file number. If that information fell into someone's hands that was a bit dodgy, that could be used for identity fraud, and it's a serious matter. Uh, what's happened is that uh, there are four crews a, B, C and D that are working currently at Mount Arthur. They, they're working uh, rotating shifts. So as each shift comes and goes, the, uh, the management gets together the employees in, in like little groups of 15 or 20 in whatever department they work in and have told them in no uncertain terms that if you like to go on social websites and uh, blab about what's going on, there is a very good chance that you'll be dismissed. And that's, to me, that's just heavy-handed and anti-worker. These people have had their most sensitive inf information fall in, in God knows whose hands. It's not right. Uh, I know for a fact that uh, a lot of the big uh, major corporations, particularly mining companies, have people sitting down, going through their employees' Facebook accounts, trolling through them just seeing what people are saying. Now, I know for a fact, I know for a fact that when I was working at MAC or Mount Arthur Coal, people were actually dismissed for uh, statements that they put on there uh, about their work or about other people that work in the industry out at the mine. Very heavy-handed. So there's been similar kind of warnings given before? Yes. Yeah, you go uh, straight on to a level three, and if the uh, the mine manager or whoever uh, your department manager's in a bad mood, that can go to a dismissal in an instant. And what are some of the other things that might be reported on social media that the company wouldn't uh, wouldn't really enjoy having put out there? Oh, well, the the inner workings of the mine. Uh, yeah, look, they're very, very, very secretive about what they do. They don't like anyone knowing what's going on in the, in the pit. Mm. I know from, from working with some activists up in the Hunter Valley over the years, one of the, one of the key public health issues, apart from all the dust from the mines, mm. is when there's blasting and it doesn't quite um, <laughs> get set off right. No. And you get these orange, uh, is it ammonium nitrate and diesel? Like That's their 6% fuel oil. Yeah, right. And the, the reason that you get that orange fume is that when, um, when water or, or condensation gets down in and dilutes the blasting material down in the hole mm. and you don't get a, a, a full burn, and that is, uh, that's very, very toxic, toxic fume. I, 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 on a couple of occasions, um, uh, blasting here in the Hunter Valley has resulted in... Uh, this toxic mushroom cloud, and uh, it blows. It, well, it, it, Mount, 
Mount Arthur coal led a beauty off a couple of years ago and it went uh, right across the industrial area, which is adjacent to the mine, and there were quite a few people uh, taken up to the hospital for uh, treatment. It's not, not nice stuff at all. Um, nausea, dizziness, yeah, it's, uh, it's bad stuff. Did, what's the general situation more broadly across the Hunter Valley? Well, we had uh, a series of picket lines here uh, six or eight months ago against a multinational called Glencore. All their enterprise agreements for their operations up here in the Hunter, there's the Mangoola, Liddell and the Washery, they all come to uh, up for renewal all at once. So what was happening was that good old Glencore they wouldn't come to the table, so the CFMEU, the Mining and Energy Division up here, and uh, they're, they're going OK, uh, they uh, pulled a series of uh, picket lines at the uh, workplaces. Uh, I went along and uh, lent a hand. Uh, there was another uh, incident uh, here a while back where there was a stoppage over at uh, a very, very ugly mine that's being built directly across the river from my place called Mount Pleasant. Uh, that's not very pleasant at all for me because the amount of dust that's been blowing out of there just recently has been incredible. But uh, Downer were over there and they had uh, a stoppage for a couple of days because they weren't weren't paying their people right. And also uh, they had uh, unqualified people doing um, doing skilled work there that shouldn't have been there. It's just a cost cost cutting measure that uh, these grubby companies do. And just recently, the uh, the proposed fourth coal loader for Newcastle, which had subsequently then been put on the back burner mm. because the ass fell out of the coal market, that's officially been abandoned by the um, proponent Port Waratah Coal Services. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, T4. Yeah. And it's uh, t-, a t meaning terminal. It got a terminal injury and it's gone away. I felt so happy to see that uh, they... They'd uh, abandoned the idea of that because uh, some of the dust that blows off the uh, stockpiles at Port Waratah Coal Services and don't forget our other, the lovely people at NCIG, uh, it, when the wind blows, uh, it just blows straight. Oh, those people that live in Carrington and Mayfield, Waratah through there, oh, how they put up with it, I don't know. Well, just, I just for listeners, NCIG is Newcastle Coal Infrastructure Group, and it's the other. For for the, the listeners' benefit, NCIG is uh, as uh, the major shareholder is the uh, is the lovely BHP, uh, Whitehaven, Yan Coal, Peabody, yeah, all all basically the uh, the slightly smaller players in the game. Other than uh, having said that, uh, the big the big mover in the uh, coal industry up here at the moment is Yan Coal. Hmm. The Chinese people, uh, they are, they've, uh, they're moving in and uh, they've got a big a couple of big operations out in the, uh, the Midwest, out around the Mudgee area, and uh, they've got their eye on. I am led to believe from pretty well-informed source that they are looking at taking Mount Arthur Coal. And some of the people that are... Uh, working out there that I see on a regular basis. They're not, not at all concerned about the takeover, possible takeover by Yan Cole because they've had a guts full of BHP in their practices. Anti-worker, anti-union. They bought their way into what they thought they were going to go in and mine the, uh, the Liverpool Plains up on their Karuna deposit. That's for the listeners' benefit. Is, uh, 
Liverpool Plains is an absolutely picturesque part of uh, the Upper Hunter uh, of New South Wales. Uh, mm. Black soil, two cereal crops a year, and absolute abundance of first first rate underground water that they uh, irrigate their crops with. And BHP wanted to come along and go in underneath the Liverpool Plains and mine the seams of coal, mm. uh, cut through the aquifers, and uh, cause uh, well they claimed that it wasn't going to uh, cause any subsidence, but. Anyone that knows anything about coal mining and un- particularly uh, coal extraction via long wall, mate, it just absolutely ruins the place. Mm. I saw it in Queensland and I've seen it da- down here as well too. But what happened? Uh, they got burnt off and away they went. And then along come the lovely people from China again, Shenhua. Mm. They also want to establish a, a, a huge open-cut mining area that... Um, encompasses a known koala habitat. Hmm. So their idea is to uh, they're going to go out into the bush, uh, catch all the koalas and uh, relocate them. Well, that doesn't work. What, uh, where they want to start their open-cut mining is in, where, in the recharge area for the underground aquifer. So once they cut through them, is that the underground water uh, supply is cut off. So the, the farmers are pumping away, and next thing you know, no water. Yeah. They've brought up 43 farms in the Gunnedah Basin, and uh, they're ready to rock and roll. But uh, so far, no, nothing. And so the Karuna, the one from BHP, mm-hmm. that was officially um, yeah, She's revoked. dead in the water. What about the Shenhua? Is that... Oh, that's still on still on the burner. That, right. that still may happen. There are a lot of activists in the Gunnedah area that are uh, keeping an eye on that. And as soon as uh, one tractor al- arrives on site or the first sign gets put up, uh, I dare say we'll be onto that. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's the same as, uh, for the listeners' benefit, we have another massive project, coal mine, <coughs> called Malls Creek. Mm. It's owned and operated by Whitehaven Coal that is uh, in, uh, encroached and in, in pushing their way through the Laird Forest. Uh, that was the scene of some uh, some big protests. And again, uh, listeners, the Laird Forest is a known koala habitat. I was in there with some people. We did a koala count, and mm. we found koalas in there. Mm. And uh, but uh, do you think Whitehaven Coal care? Not on your life. All these major, all these big coal mining companies are interested in for your listeners' benefits is loaded coal trains heading for the port at all costs. They don't care. You are listening to Stick Together, workers' stories, union news and social justice issues. Now we take you to Sydney, where Stick Together's New South Wales reporter, Don Sutherland, spoke to Aboriginal writer and activist Ken Canning about how the politics of big business mining is related to the Northern Territory intervention. Sticks um, is a really good organisation that uh, started up 11 years ago when... Uh, the invasion of the Northern Territory by the Howard government happened and they've been campaigning ever since tirelessly to uh, to dismantle the intervention basically um, so it's, it's in its 11th year the intervention and it's been probably one of the biggest human rights uh, abuses of the last uh, century and uh, the biggest land grab I mean this is just the biggest land grab since 1788 and it's been done on behalf of the mining companies. 
Can you pin that down a little bit further? How can you draw a connection between what both Liberal and Labor governments have done in the Northern Territory with the intervention and the mining companies? Well, if you look, mining companies stated 20 years ago that the Northern Territory was the future of mining. Prior to the intervention, Howard had tried to stand over communities to lease their lands back to the federal government. The reason he was doing that was so they could be mined. And, um, you know, he was doing things like, you know, before the removal of communities, well before that, he was doing things like cutting off supply into certain communities to try and force them into signing over. So when that didn't work, he came up with the intervention. And if you look, you know, this was a this was a was an intentional act, one which has, uh, you know, a lot of people have never been held accountable for. One one of the first acts before he called it a state of emergency was uh, that infamous show, that infamous an- interview with Greg Andrews on Lightline, uh, who stated to Tony Jones that he was a welfare officer who'd spent six months, just spent six months in uh, the Northern Territory as a youth worker and had personally witnessed child pedophile rings run by older Aboriginal men. And um, he he announced that over, over national television shortly after um, Howard comes out with a state of emergency, we've got to go in there to save the children. Nobody, once they heard Greg Andrews, was going to argue with that. Who wants to argue with the safety of children? Nobody. So the whole nation was silenced. But subsequent reports disproved that uh, by three or four different organisations, including doctors, including the Northern Territory Police, by the way, uh, they disproved that that report. What, in fact, Greg, who, in fact, Greg Andrews was, was a Melbruff staffer. Melbruff was the then Minister of Aboriginal Affairs reporting under John Howard. Greg Andrews, not the youth worker, and he had not been to Central Australia, nor had he spent one night in Central Australia. So he was reporting misleading information to the whole country. It hit all the new, every newspaper in the country, it hit the next day. There was an internal investigation by the ABC. He was, after many complaints by Aboriginal people. Now, when Greg Andrews first went on, a, star, a, a woman working within Aboriginal Affairs, um, who was a close friend of mine, she was the first one to know who it was, and she bought him straight undone. She exposed him immediately, but she was sacked. Andrews was then moved out of the uh, bureaucratic position he has into private industry back in Queensland. Nice cushy job. Now he's back in Canberra yes. in a nice senior bureaucratic position. You know, you, th- this whole thing was a perpetrated lie. And, and, and the, the dramatic thing, what, what people don't realise was a lot of Aboriginal men took that to heart because it was, uh, after it was aired, it was put in nearly every newspaper in the country that they were running pedophile rings here. Yes. Some of those men in those communities killed themselves rather than face the public humiliation that they were subjected to, which was lies. Now, the Northern Territory Police came out, the police commissioner at the time, his name slips me, came out and said, the worst thing that's happened is this intervention. He said, rather than protect children, before you, these communities that the Howard government has taken out, prior to the intervention, you had to have permission to go onto these communities. The permission was twofold. The permission was from the community itself and the police had to be involved as well. Now that he's lifted the Anti-Discrimination Act, and which was an illegal thing anyway, he lifted the Anti-Discrimination yes. Act to go in there. He had to 
reverse an act of Parliament to uh, to go in. Now he, once he lifted that, anybody could go into those communities. Also, doctors when they um, when they examine kids, and this was uh, an intrusive thing for kids to go through. Once the allegation went through, all these children had to go and be intrusively examined against their will. Doctor, the AMA quite clearly stated that the um, the uh, rate of abuse against children sexually was lower than the national average. So they're banged up in Howard's face, his whole thing of child exactly. sex rings. I mean, Howard was, he did the children overboard. You know, this guy was a, uh, he was he was a very conniving, cunning man. He wanted his own way at any cost. Mm -hmm. And his cost was to demonise a whole race of people. So dramatic, you usually get some sort of opposition to say, well, you know, let's water this down a bit. Nothing, nothing from Rudd. He was, he was loudened by his silence. Uh, so we've had the intervention created by the Howard government to assist the mining companies in their strategies mm. to get access to mining lands. Then it continues under the Labor government and then Call it continues. Paul Bright, Labor comes in. Yes and says we'll extend it by 10 years and call it Brighter Futures. <laughs> this was a bipartisan approach to take over 73 communities in the Northern Territory. By calling it Brighter Futures, I've always stated that's like putting us in the same grave but giving us a prettier headstone. Yes. That's all Labor did. What is the campaign against the intervention seeking to do uh, given that we have the prospect of a Labor government? Well, we have, we have to keep campaigning against both governments. Labor's not going to pull the intervention out. Labor has proven it, way back in Hawke's time when we had a National Land Rights Act that was going to uh, have land rights unified throughout every state, which it wasn't, it was fragmented. Uh, all parties had agreed to a National Land Rights Act. Hawke had a uh, meeting with the then Premier of Western Australia, Brian Burke, and three mining magnates and scrapped the lot just scrapped it with a meeting with three or four people against the consensus of a whole bloody nation. So you can see where Labor was heading then. Mm. They were with the mining lobby. They're still with the mining lobby. People only have to go up to the Borrowlula community and uh, talk about the great Peter Garrett, how he changed the course of the um, MacArthur River um, against their will. What changing the course of the river did was allowed more toxins to flow down to their communities cause early deaths, cause sickness amongst kids. But uh, just as important and probably more tragic is that sacred sites that were still being used for ceremonial purposes were submerged and lost forever. That's it for Stick Together today. Thanks to you for listening. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Until next time, stick together. <laughs>